Welcome everybody, welcome to Grace This Weekend, and welcome everybody watching online and at our live sites in the Montrose building. Thanks for being here as well. We've been in a conversation here these last couple of weekends that has been sparked out of a command that Jesus gave us. He says this in John 15, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And then he kind of quantifies this as greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And we've been looking at that and saying, what does that mean? And how do we even start to get our head around it? Jesus puts in a definition of what love is. It's when we are willing to lay down one's life for one's friends to that depth of love. And to that end, he would say, well, look at the cross. Uh, if you want to understand what love is, if you want to know my definition of love, you would look at the cross. My definition isn't rooted in emotion or romance. It's rooted in this predetermined, yes, I was determined to love you like this. So you would look at kind of all of Easter and you would look and say, God's willingness to go to the cross. He says that, that I lay down my life. It was not taken from me. There was a predetermined, yes, I'm going to love you this way. This kind of brutal, bloody, willful, violent reality of the passion of Christ, his willingness to endure suffering, and then even his resurrection. And he would look at us and say, when, when you think about love or want to quantify love, if you want a, a living in color illustration of love, that would be mine. That, that That is the full extent of my love, the clearest definition of love that I can give you. And so I want you to love each other like that. I want you to love your neighbor like that. I want you to love your spouse, your parents, your kids. Even your worst enemy, I want you to love in that way. And so we kind of laid down that foundation at Easter, and then we started to try to get our head around it a little bit. What does that look like? How does it function? And so we started looking at this idea last weekend that love is not an emotion, it's a mindset. It's a mindset. So Paul is explaining God's heart to us a little bit, and he would say this, in your relationships with one another, if I'm going to love as I've been loved, those are my relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Well, what was his mindset? And in the context of Philippians chapter 2, the context is the cross, that he was going to the cross. And so we, we got a glimpse into Jesus' mindset, that he had the mindset of a servant who was asking the question, not what do I get out of this? But rather, what's best for you? What do you need? That's a servant's mindset. And then he had the mindset of humility. And the humility, we said, is the willful suspension of our rights. I'm deciding to do this. I have the right not to go to the cross. I have the right to kind of proclaim my own innocence and sinlessness. But I'm willfully suspending that and doing what's best for you. So in my desire to love another person, if I'm going to love as I've been loved, I have to adopt that paradigm, that grid, that lens, that mindset of Jesus. And I'm coming at it not saying, how do I feel or what did you do to deserve? But my mindset is, I am going to love you, what is best for you, and I will give that regardless of whether I'm required to or not, so to say. Whether I have the right to withhold it or embrace it, I'm going to give it 
to you. So we had those conversations. Those are online. They're on the website. They're on the app. They're on the podcast. If you buy me sushi, I'll come and preach it over lunch for you. Uh, but you can get kind of access to all those in any way you want. Encourage you to download that. There's a ton of like good stuff in there that helps to frame all this out. But that's kind of the the path of thinking that that we are on. This weekend, what I want to do is introduce an element that's going to be necessary if you want to love as you have been loved. So if, if, you, if you have any like-mindedness, if any fellowship in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, if, any, if that's any part of you, and you said, yeah, I'm in, I, I want to love as I have been loved, how do you do that exactly? I want to introduce this element that is going to be a part of your relationships. If you want to love someone, you have to have this element in your relationships. And we're going to see that Christ, in his great example of loving us, introduced this element. Okay, so let's go back to the cross. Let me frame it up a little bit, because what I'm going to introduce comes directly from the cross. So just to kind of to get us in the mindset, what Jesus is going to say here, he's saying in the context of Easter, of the cross, of his clearest definition of love, it's in the middle of that. So at this point in that process, Jesus has already been arrested in the garden. He's already been taken in front of the Jewish leadership, falsely accused. He's mocked. He's beaten. He's struck there. He's already been turned over to the Romans now. And he, he got a bad trial because Pilate wouldn't deal with him. He was turned over. He's been flogged by the Roman guards who that was their specialty and their profession. They would beat you to just before death. So the, the bone, the glass is dug into his flesh, pulled his flesh, pulled his bones. His back, his rib cage, his spinal cord, is, his spinal column is, is exposed. His spine is exposed. He has already got the crown of thorns, the beard pulled out, the mocking, the spitting upon, the mocking of the false robe. You're the son of God. You're the king of the Jews. That's already happened. They, they have started him toward Golgotha. He can't carry the cross the whole way. So Simon's already been called out to help with that. He's arrived there. He's been thrown on his back, on the cross, nails through his wrists, through his feet, between the two robbers, okay, the thieves. So one, actually they both start mocking him and then one comes to believe in him. The high priest is out there saying, if you really are the son of God, come down off of that cross. The Romans are mocking him. Here hangs the king, of, mocking him. Here hangs the king of the Jews. His clothes have been gambled over. This is all happening and it's all around him, right? In that crowd are all levels and layers of offenses against an innocent man. So there's the guy back there that a few days ago was shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, and then changed teams and said, crucify him, crucify him. 
that guy is in that crowd. There's the high priest who falsely accused or mocking him, lied about him. There's the Roman guards that crucified him. Romans actually had crucifixion squads. This was their, their specialty. They would, call, they would crucify you in such a way that it would drag it out as long as possible. So they're in that crowd. John's in that crowd. Jesus' mother Mary is in that crowd. Other unnamed disciples, maybe not the 11, but others who would have followed closely, they're in that crowd. Everybody who changed teams, who mocked him, who crucified him, everybody who has doubts and they're unsure and was I wrong about this the whole time because I didn't expect the Messiah to be crucified like this. There's the whole gamut in that crowd at his feet and in the middle of that whole scene as fluid is building around his heart and filling his lungs as he's getting close to a heart attack and suffocating in his bodily fluid. In the midst of that, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. So from the cross, he's looking at all these people who have hurt him, sinned against him in all these ways, the whole spectrum. And in that moment, he's not forgiving every sin they ever did. He's not forgiving the sins of the world forever. In that moment, he's looking at what they did to him, and he cries out to his father, Father, forgive them. That guy who changed teams doesn't realize I'm the son of God. This Jewish high priest doesn't even believe that he just crucified his own Messiah and my disciples are scared to death and that's why their minds are full of doubt. He cries out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now this phrase is loaded. I, we could probably put together 15 different messages just on that sentence. But I want to boil it down to one thing. So we're just going to take one thing out of it. And this is what I want you to see. That Jesus... In the midst of his pain, his instinctual reflex was to forgive. And then he would look at you and I and say, I want you to love others as you have been loved. Find that definition on the cross and in the midst of that definition, see forgiveness. If you're going to love other people, forgiveness is going to be a part of that process. It's inescapable. What human beings do the most and the best is we sin against each other. That we do that the most and we do it the best. We're all really good sinners. It's like it's natural. And so if I'm going to love you somewhere at some level, at the, the slightest to the deepest, I am going to have to forgive you. It's going to have to be a part of my relationship. And if I am unwilling to forgive you, I will be unable to love you at the depths of which Christ calls me to love. And one of the things that we would look at with Jesus and we would look and say, man, what he did, part of why we respect him, believe him, follow him, is this phrase. We would look and say, man, somehow... Jesus' instinctual reflex to forgive validates his love for us in a whole nother level. It's not just what he did or how he did it or the predetermined yes. It's that in the middle of it, he forgave those 
who did it. And it's another layer of us looking and saying, Jesus is different, Jesus is special, Jesus is God's part of why I love him and why I trust him. Because he was willing to forgive even in the darkest moment as a completely innocent person. Never sinned, never did anything. If there was ever a victim on the planet, his name was Jesus Christ, and he chose to forgive in those moments, see. Now what happens is this, Jesus does that, and then what happens is the apostles pick up on that teaching. So if you're unfamiliar with this, this is the way the Bible works a little bit. Jesus' life is recorded, his life and his, and, and his teachings is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and a, uh, a little bit of Acts, and so that's recorded, and then he raises up these guys called the apostles, like the apostle Peter, the apostle Paul, like, and, and what those guys do is they help us take what Jesus did, and they help the church understand how to live that out. So there's one of the apostles, his name is Paul. He's one of the famous ones. And when Paul writes about forgiveness, it's interesting his perspective because Paul, before he was a follower of Jesus, his full-time job was to go around and kill Christians. He had like a benefit package. He got mileage on his horse, like the whole nine years. Like it was retirement. Like so he, that was his career is he went around and he killed Christians. Jesus encountered Paul or met with him miraculously after his resurrection. So Paul was kind of the number one persecutor of Christians, and he became the number one propagator of the truth of Jesus Christ because he interacted with the resurrected Jesus and believed on him. So the apostle Paul writes a lot of these letters to the church to help us understand kind of how to apply and how to live out the teachings of Jesus. And one of those letters he writes is in the book of Ephesians, and this is what he says connected to what Jesus did on the cross. He says, Ephesians chapter 4, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Paul would look back, in fact, he would instruct us to do that in a couple and several of his letters. He would look back to the cross. He would say, see that? See the broken body? See the shed blood? See the forgiveness offered? See that? So when you're interacting with each other, because he's the guy that wrote the mindset passage too, when you're interacting with each other, you're having that mindset, a servant, a humility, and the forgiveness mindset. And, and you are to forgive as you have been forgiven. In fact, you can invert this logic. If you are unwilling to forgive as you've been forgiven, what you will wind up with is bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and malice in your life. If you're unwilling to forgive, you're just gonna be honked off all the time as somebody. If it, that's, that's the Greek translation. If you're, if you're unwilling to forgive, you're just going to be bitter all the time. See? It, it, the lack of forgiveness, it will produce this. If I want to get rid of this, I have to turn to forgiveness. And I have to be willing to forgive each other as in Christ I was forgiven. In fact, Paul, another one of his writings, he would say that's actually what love is. If you're looking to love as you have been loved, part of love is forgiveness. He says this in Corinthians 13. He says, love 
keeps no record of wrongs. Love forgives. It's kind of the logic of it. I can't love you and be angry with you simultaneously, kind of building that into my heart. I can't love you and be full of bitterness towards you. I can't love you and be acting maliciously towards you. I have to displace these forms of hate with love. And the only way for me to displace that is to forgive as I have been forgiven. If I want to love as I have been loved, I cannot love as I have been loved if I will not forgive as I have been forgiven. That's a great tattoo right there. If I cannot love as I have been loved, if I will not forgive as I have been forgiven, right? Because I will keep a record of wrongs. A record of wrongs is a ledger. And what we do in a ledger is we record debts. So I will keep a record of wrongs. If you hurt me, I record it, I write it in the ledger, and I'm keeping track of my debt, the debts that you owe me, the wrongs that you have been done to me. And if my ledger is full of debt, it cannot be full of love because I've kept a record of wrongs, okay? Now, as I was kind of getting ready for this this weekend, um, and I kind of hate it when this happens. I love it when there's a, a great message and it convicts you guys, because you guys are so messed up. You need convicted about your sin. But I don't like it when it convicts me, because I'm above all this usually. And so I, I don't like it at all. But this conversation is very, very personal to, for me in my life. This would be like a major struggle in my life. I grew up a very angry person. And for a bunch of reasons, a bunch of junk, I had my full share of junk that happened in my childhood, right? And my, my mentor, Pastor Bob, he always says that childhood pain becomes adult dysfunction, right? So I had my, I had my fair share of pain in my childhood. And one of the things that that pain did was it made me a bitter, slanderous, angry, raging, malicious person. So I, growing up, I, I would find ways to take my anger out on people. Uh, when I was in high school, my friends and I would go to the movies and we would find the people that were there on their first date, because you can tell they're awkward around each other, and we would sit behind them and we would mock the guy until he got mad enough to fight. And it, by the way, it works. I mean, a pretty good track record if you want to pick a fight. That's a good way to do it. And so we would mock those guys, and then we would go fight those guys. Because I was so angry, so full of bitterness that, that I would do that. Because when you keep a record of wrongs, that record rationalizes in your mind your sin. I have a reason, I have a justification to act in this way. So I grew up this very angry person. When I was in college, I came to Christ. And when I came to Christ, my behavior changed, but the records, the debts in my ledger were still with me. So this is what happened. I, I, would, I had this record. I had these things that were built up in my life, right? And, and they build upon themselves. And I can change my behavior. I can quit picking fights in movie theaters. But what happens is I will still pull that bitterness, that rage, that slander, that mouse. I'll still pull it forward 
into my present relationships, right? And I'll still have that be a habit. I will record your wrongs habitually. Now, I've been blessed with two things that are also curses. I have a great memory, especially if you wrong me. I will remember when, how, and where, and almost every word you said. And I have a very big mouth. So I'm miserable to be married to or to be your father. And, and this, is, this is what happens. I would pull that anger forward because I'm, I'm angry at that guy and that woman and that girl, and I'm angry. And then I, I get married to Heidi. And Heidi will wrong me. She, Heidi has a lot of sin, a lot of sin. You pray, pray for, pray for her, right? So she has a lot of sin in her life. And so Heidi would do something, she'd sin against me, and instead of me forgiving her, I'd record it. And then she sinned again. You're going to see this pattern of her of sin, right? So she'd sin again, and instead of me forgiving her, I'd record it. And I would take that wrong, and I was accumulating. I was adding up her debt. And I was building my justifications. And then I have a great memory and a really big mouth. And so I would do this. When I decided it was time for her to pay her debts, I would pull out her wrong. And I would take her wrong, and I would throw it back at her. See? I just wing it at her. Pay for it. Remember? Well, honey, you're late, and I can't believe you're late. Oh, yeah? Remember 94? Remember 94, what you did? Really mad at her. Right? So, right? so remember that? Oh, you remember? Well, I can't believe you said that. Aha. Uh -huh. Well, remember when you said this? No, I don't. Well, let me detail it for you. You said this. I didn't say this. Oh, yes, you did. In fact, you said, quote, I quote a lot, quote, See? And we'll take that, and this is the thing. We've kept a record. We kept a record, and then we'll use the record because we're going to make you pay for your debt. Now, when I'm making you pay for your debt, I'm not loving you. When I look at you and say, oh, today's the day, baby. You want to go? We'll go. We'll, we'll pay for your debt. I do this to my kids. I remember. Oh, I remember. Dad, I can't believe you would. Oh, you want to know why? Well, Dad, and I'll look at it. You want to go? Let's go. I'll fight. I don't mind. See? Because today's the day that you're going to pay for being my child. <laughs> See? And we'll throw those wrongs back and forth. Now, this is what happens. When you collect a record of wrongs, eventually what happens is it's going to add up and it's going to add up and it's going to add up. And then eventually what happens is there's finally going to be one last ping pong ball. And that last ping pong ball is going to flip that scale and it's going to blow. I had this happen to me the other day. I was coming down Route 18. It's my day off. I only get one, feel bad for me. But I was coming down Route 18, I was in my pickup truck, I had a trailer on, because I was doing stuff, I had camo on, I had everything but a gun, because it's not hunting season. But I, I was all set up, windows are down, sunroof is open, WQMX is on the radio, and I think Garth was playing. I was as happy as a redneck can be in that, in that moment. I'm going down the road, 
I come up to a stoplight down here toward Montrose. A guy whips in front of me, slams on his brakes, and I have to stop real quick. He jumps out of his Chevy pickup, and he takes his phone out, and he takes a picture of me and my truck. And I was like, oh, paparazzi. <laughs> Happens all the time, right? And so, I, I, and he, he let me know. He took a picture of me, and then he let me know with both hands that he thought I was the number one driver on the road, right? And I'm looking at him, and I'm thinking, I don't, I don't know what your problem is, right? I am in a good mood. I'm not upset with you. You are irate with me. What happened to him? Well, he's keeping it right around. He's probably got in a fight with his wife. See? His boss is probably a jerk. He's angry about having to drive a Chevy. See? And then I did something. Now, whatever I did was so slight, I don't know what I did. But I did something. And he, it was the one last ping pong ball on his scale. And he blew his top. He doesn't know me. We don't have a history. There's nothing there. I was just the end of his line, and he decided to road rage on me. Took a picture of me. So I took a picture of him, and I turned him into a sermon illustration, right? Okay. Now, this is what happens. Let me show you this. When I keep a record of wrongs, the record has weight, and eventually that weight is going to overwhelm me. And when that last thing happens, I'm going to blow my top and probably not at the people I'm actually mad at. What's going to happen, I'm going to go home and the kitchen is going to be a mess. I'm going to, I'm going to, something's going to happen at work. Somebody's going to cut me off on my way home. My wife is going to say that one thing. My husband's going to do that one thing. And when I blow, this is what happens. Ready? I've been waiting to do this all week. This is what happens. I'm going to blow. Okay? I'm going to blow. And my anger is going to go everywhere. And this is what happens. My loved ones are going to pick up my anger. That shrapnel is going to go directly into their heart. And they probably didn't do something. Your wife's screaming at you. She's not yelling at you. She's yelling at her dad. Your husband's lost his, lost his mind on you. He's not yelling at you. He's yelling at the stress from work. See? They're going to pick up my anger. But here's what happens. When they pick up my anger because I blew and I got my stress out and I verbalized and, and I said it and, and I got my anger out of me, that's a lie. They have my shrapnel and guess what I have? I still have all of my anger, all of my bitterness, all of my rage, all my slander, all my brawling, all my malice. Because I didn't get rid of it. I didn't get rid of it. It didn't go away. I just gave it to other people. And they're going to do, you know what they're going to do? They're going to give it back to me. And I'm not loving anybody. I've actually made it more difficult to love as I have been loved. Because 
I'm unwilling to forgive as I have been forgiven. Now, Paul, when he writes on this, he says, listen, this, this is the, the you got to get rid of it. You, you have to erase the record of wrongs. Well, how do you do that? Because I have this in me. This was me. I had all this anger in me. I was a Christian. I quit being a jerk in those ways. I just found different ways to be a jerk. And it caused wedges. How do you get rid of it? This is what the same writer writes in Romans. He says this. He says, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. How? Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. I get rid of these records of wrongs by bringing Christ into my life. And instead of keeping the ledger and saying, aha, you are indebted to me. You know what you did? I'll tell you what you did. In 1995, in October 13th, about 4 p.m., you said, that's the way my mind works, Instead of taking that and holding it and waiting and say, there's going to be a moment that you are going to repay me for what you did to me. I am going to take that moment, that entry in my ledger, and I'm going to give it to Christ. My, when my dad said this to me and made me feel dumb, instead of waiting to make him feel dumb... Christ, I cast my cares and my anxiety on you. My wife, she's not the wife that she's supposed to be. I got Bible verses to back me up. And so I'm going to make her be the wife that she's supposed to be. I'm going to take that responsibility. Christ, you work in her life. You know her pain, you know her struggles, you know her sin. I remember my boss, he passed me over, he absolutely ripped me off. I'm going to get him or her. You know what? God, justice, perfect justice is you, not me. I'm not going to repay an evil for an evil because I have the evil recorded. I'm going to trust the truth and the justice and the power of God. And I start to empty the ledger that I'm keeping by giving it to the one who can actually deal with it. And it keeps me from blowing the shrapnel on the people that I love. In fact, as I empty the ledger into the one who can deal with it, the people who look at me will look at me and say, oh my goodness, he's changed. I, I feel more loved than I've ever felt by her. She, I feel forgiven. I feel released. She doesn't bring that up anymore. She is loving me despite myself. You want to you wanna blow people's minds in our culture today, which is a revenge-oriented culture. 
You want to blow their minds? Be forgiving. It will literally shock people. Forgive the little stuff. Let's just suppose that yesterday, about 1.15, you were in Summit Mall trying to return a shirt, making this whole thing. And let's just suppose that you went and the lady couldn't figure it out. And you, hypothetically, have never worked in retail, but you know what the buttons on the computer do. So you're thinking to yourself, this is not this complicated. And let's just pretend it's 35 minutes later. And you want to just do her job for her. And you watch her get frustrated. And you're getting frustrated. And she's getting flustered. And you're getting impatient. And she won't do what you told her to do 20 minutes ago. And then 20 minutes later, she finally listened to what you said. And you got your shirt returned. And now you're at the end of this process. And she looks at you and says, I'm so sorry this took too long. You want to blow her mind? Look at her and say, you know, sweetheart, it, it's okay. It's okay. You're young enough to be my daughter. I wouldn't want my daughter's day ruined because of something so silly. So, so you know what? I want to be the best part of your day, not the worst part of your day. This is no big deal. Thanks for sticking with it. it blow her mind. Because you simply took something and didn't record it you release it. You want to be a testimony in your family? Be the one who looks at mom and says, you know what, I, for I forgive you. Why? Why do you want her? We were raised on the crazy train. Why would you let her back into your life? Because I forgive her. And we're going to have boundaries, there's parameters and all that stuff. But you know what? I want to forgive her as I have been forgiven. You will blow your family's mind. You want to raise your kids and give them the best shot at health after the divorce? Forgive your ex. You know what, sweetheart? We're not, we're not talking about daddy that way. Well, mom, we all know he was a jerk. He walked out. You know what? Daddy's got pain, and we love him, and he's your dad, and we're going to move forward. We're not going to stay there, and we're going to do the best that we can at loving dad for where he's at. You want to give your kids the best shot of recovering from something so devastating? You forgive. You forgive as you have been forgiven. You want to break the cycles of dysfunction? You forgive. You want to break the cycles of revenge? You forgive. You want to break the cycles of cultural tension? Don't tweet back. Don't snap back. Don't comment on it. Forgive it. Take the vengeance that motivated you to record the offense and give it to the one who will do justice in the perfect way and in the perfect time. It's not enablement. It's trusting that this belongs to Christ. It does not belong to me. Right. Now, it's a touchy subject. So you're doing math like I would do math, and you would say, well, Jeff, you know, the shirt thing with the, with the, I, okay. But my mom, ooh, my dad, ah, that friend, that they feels like they're still twisting the knife in my back. 
Mm. How? How do you forgive as you've been forgiven? Okay, ready? Here it is. This is a tough one. Tough one. This is where it enters. This is what Christ is teaching. I want you to love as you have been loved. And part of loving as you've been loved is to forgive as you've been forgiven. How do I forgive someone? This is, here it is, ready? The way that I get motivated and I get perspective and I even get direction in my specific situation to forgive someone is to always remember that whatever has been done to me, I have done to Christ. Whatever has been done to me, I have done to Christ. I have abandoned Christ. I have been unfaithful to Christ. I have robbed Christ. I have slandered Christ. I, I have been a poor friend to Christ. Whatever has been done to me, I have done to Christ. And when I did to Christ what is being done to me, Christ cried out, Father, forgive them. In one version or another, at one point or another in that spectrum, I'm standing in that crowd at the crucifixion. And Jesus' instinctual reflex, his illustration in color of his love included forgiveness. And I have been forgiven in the same manner that forgiveness is required of me. What, how did Jesus forgive me? This is what the Bible would say. The Bible would say this, I am forgiven by Christ. I am being forgiven by Christ. And I will be forever and completely forgiven by Christ. I've been saved by Christ. My salvation is being worked out in Christ. And, and I will be forever saved with him. This is called the doctrine of sanctification. I'm sanctified, I'm set apart, I'm cleansed, I'm forgiven, I'm saved the moment that I ask Christ to be my savior. And I'm being sanctified because I keep on sinning. You, you sin this morning on the way here. Remember the fight in the Honda Odyssey minivan? Remember your selfishness, your thought process? Remember all that? I'm saved, sanctified from my sin, and I continue to be cleansed and sanctified, forgiven. And one day we will be fully, there's a day that we won't deal with any of this anymore. We, we won't have to forgive as we've been forgiven. We won't have to love as we've been loved because we'll be in heaven. We'll all be made perfect. Sin won't be a part of our lives anymore. But in the interim, Christ continues to work in you. He continues to forgive you. And whatever was done to you, you have done and are doing to Christ. And so if I want to love and I want to forgive, I go back to the cross. I see, I forgive as I have been and am being forgiven. And this is why I'm love liable. I'm liable for this because what is required of me is happening to me. To catch that? What is required of me is happening to me. 
Christ is loving me this way. And he says, love each other that way. Christ is forgiving me this way. He says, forgive one another that way. And if you ever want to blow somebody's mind or let them see Jesus with skin on, don't throw Bible verses at them. Don't argue cultural issues with them. Don't get into some weirdo doctrinal debate with them. Forgive them in the manner that you will be forgiven and you will illustrate the proof of Christ, the love of Christ, the existence of Christ and the power of Christ in that relationship in that moment. It's powerful. It's freeing. It's life changing. And Jesus would say, just put it on me. You'll never figure it out. You will never unwind 20 years of marital pain, ever. You will never trace every little element of that, ever. But you can forgive and start anew. Let me handle it. You, you will never unpack your childhood completely. Never. It's so complicated. Even good parents mess their kids up. That's what we don't save for college. We save for their counseling, right? Even the best parents mess their kids up. You will never, but you can put it on the shoulders of Christ. You will never resolve that painful conflict, that first marriage ever. What you're more likely to do is let your first marriage ruin your second one. Or you can forgive. And in the moment, you can love the person that God has placed in your life in those moments. It's a life-altering process. And if I want to love as I have been loved, guaranteed, because what human beings do best is we sin against each other, guaranteed, you're going to have to forgive as you've been forgiven. It's a part of the love process, the love illustration. And it's right there with bright lights on it, right there on the cross in the middle of Jesus' illustration, okay? I'm going to forgive as I've been forgiven. I'm love liable because what's required of me is happening to me even now, right? All right, the band's going to give us a little space to think. And, and here's, here's a question that maybe you want to wrestle with. It's up to you, but... Here's a thought. I wonder what would happen if you asked God, if you asked the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the wrong that you have recorded. What are you hanging on to? What are you hanging on to? Okay. And if I, if I hit an example or two, your mind is already on those people. You're thinking about it. See? So Holy Spirit... Re Reveal to me the wrong that's been recorded, the, the, the repayment that I've been waiting for. Okay, now here's the second part, and this is the harder part. Then ask the Holy Spirit to show you how you do to Christ what is being done to you. That's the hard part. Because Jesus, I, I am the one I do to you whatever has been done to me. And when you see that, you will start to see how you've been forgiven. And that will start to help you know the details, the, the pathway to forgive the one that you need to forgive. You got to see it in you first.
as Christ doing this for you. And that's actually how you'll learn. There's not like five steps to forgive somebody. That's how you'll learn to walk through your personal relationships and to forgive the one who's sinning against you, okay? So I'm gonna pray for us. You can join me if you want. The band will settle in. They'll give us a little thought. I, I love this prayer and this challenge, this song they're gonna sing. So grab it, pray it, use it if you want. But let's, let's take a few minutes and be still and chill a little bit and, and just work it through with Christ, okay? Jesus, love you. Thank you for loving us. In these still moments, God, would you press deep, Lord, the, the, the tentacles of this stuff goes into our soul in ways that I don't think we'll ever understand, but you see it, you know it. So God, would, would you help us in that to see it and to respond and to surrender it to you? God, show us, Lord, show us. Holy Spirit, empower the Word of God. So these scriptures that we've learned from today, apply them to our lives personally. And then, Lord, Holy Spirit, you also are a comforter. So this stuff rips open a bunch of old wounds. So comfort us in that and help us to trust that you're, you're allowing that pain for a reason. So God, help us to redeem it and be changed and renewed and transformed through it. Do all of that in the way that only you can, even in these few moments, Jesus, in your name.